Welcome, everyone. I'm Grandpa Jimmy, your host, and you're listening to the Family and Stories podcast, and we're coming to you from beautiful Colorado Springs. My guest today has a story that is truly one with a message that you will not want to miss, one that will also be told with a heartfelt honesty and openness. She's an actress in her own right, on stage and screen, and author of two very successful books, the owner of a radio station with a wonderful name. It's called Little Betty Radio. She was even responsible for getting John Denver's song, Take Me Home, Country Roads, adopted as a state song for West Virginia. However, she is probably best known, and I don't think you would mind me saying this, as the real-life wife of Gilligan from the hit series Gilligan's Island. Even most young people who have never heard the name Bob Denver know Gilligan. Bob and she lived a true love story, had a little boy named Colin, and were married for nearly 30 years before Bob passed away in 2005. Her name is Dreama Perry Denver. And Dreama, welcome to our podcast today. Grandpa Jimmy, I am so glad to be here with you. Thank you for having me. Well, I was looking forward to this today. I know this is going to be a special time, and people are going to be surprised, I think, as we get into your story to learn more about you and Bob and what your life was really like. Why don't we just begin uh, by letting people know how you met Bob and what life was like uh, before and after the birth of Colin. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay, well, in my young life, I was an actress. Um, and I happened to be at this point in Florida visiting my family between shows. And a friend called me and told me that um, a theater in St. Petersburg was auditioning for the show played against Sam. And I would be perfect for the lead and I should go over and audition. So I did. And I got the part. And after I got the part, I was talking to the producer and I asked her, I said, so who's going to be starring? And she said, Bob Denver. And I literally went. Gilligan? And she said, yeah. And I said, seriously, I'm going to have to do love scenes with Gilligan? She was like, well, if you want the part, yes. And I said, oh, I want the part. Little did I know, um, about two weeks later, when Bob and I met at rehearsal, um, and it really did happen like this. It's never happened like that before, and certainly not since, but we were introduced. He thought my name was Dreamer, because that's what was on the marquee. They hadn't changed it yet. So he looked at me and said, are you really a dreamer? I said, I said, no, no, no. The marquee's wrong. It's actually Dreama. Well, he couldn't believe Dreama either. He took my hand to tell me how lovely it was to meet me. And I'm not kidding. Sparks flew. The cast talked about it. The reviewer who reviewed the show on opening night talked about the chemistry between the two of us. It was just there from the get-go. And it was the real deal because it lasted for, oh, almost 30 years until Bob passed away. That is an extremely unusual situation for Hollywood, for something to last that long and be a true love affair like that. I know. Well, you know, Hollywood marriages, what was Kim Kardashian's marriage? Like 72 days, that one marriage that she had, you know, they're not, they're not known for longevity. Bob always said to me, and I love this line, he used to say to me, hmm. 25 years, huh? In Hollywood years, that's more like 50. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. He called it Hollywood years, and I totally believe that. And, of course, um, you mentioned our son, Colin. 
about six years after we got married, we decided we wanted to have a baby. That happened right away, much more quickly than we thought it would. And we had our son in 1984, and it became pretty evident fairly early on that something wasn't quite right. And so, of course, we went to doctors all over the country, and our son was diagnosed with severe autism. You know, there was no discussion. We didn't have a talk about how we were going to do this or what we were going to do. Basically, without any discussion, we just knew that I was going to give up acting totally. Bob would continue to do uh, personal appearances and guest starring roles on TV shows and things like that. But he would quit pursuing um, series work and we would together take care of our son who had to have full time, full time care. So, so really, I mean, you and Bob, in, in all essence, you just decided to walk away from Hollywood because of your son and raise him yourselves. Well, we did. And we did that until Bob passed away. That was 20 plus years. Anybody out there who's a caregiver is going to know what I'm talking about. 20 plus years, 365 days a year, 24 hours, seven days a week. We were there taking care of our son who was, um, uh, when he hit puberty, it got to be a lot of fun. Let me tell you, when hormones started kicking in, he started getting, he has calmed down so much now. It's so lovely, but, but he was really, um, difficult in those probably last eight years of Bob's life, but we did it. Um, I wouldn't change it. Uh, if Bob were here, I'm sure he would say he wouldn't change it. It just felt like the right thing to do. And that's what we did. And what I loved about it is that through all of this, we did a program with him from a place in Philadelphia called the Institutes for the Achievement of Human Potential. And that was 24 hour. I mean, that was constant, that program. We had some success. We got him walking with it. Um, my son is now 37 years old. He still doesn't talk. So I've never had a conversation with him. I've never heard, I love you, mom. I don't know what he thinks. I don't know what he dreams. I don't know what his feelings were when I had to tell him his father was gone. Um, I don't know any of those things. But at the same time. Is he still living with you now? No, he lives in a house across from me with full-time care. When Bob was sick, the six months before Bob passed away, um, I had during that six-month period, a heart attack uh, from the stress of it all. We were in Winston-Salem uh, with Bob fighting for his life, and my son was with with caregivers that I did not know well at that time. Now I do know them. They're still with him all these years later. But um, the stress just got to be too much, and and I had a heart attack. So it was pretty evident, even without that happening, that there was no way that I could come home and do what Bob and I had done together all those years by myself. There was just, there was just no way. So God was looking out for me. And even though I didn't quite understand it in the moment, I came to understand it over the next probably eight to 10 years. Now, one thing I heard you say on an interview that I listened to recently is you said when Bob passed away, you didn't think you could live, that you could go on. Is that, is that right? Oh, I really didn't. I mean, Bob and I had been together for almost 30 years. And when I say together, it wasn't like we both went off to jobs from nine to five and didn't see each other. We were together all the time. And 
Oh gosh, when he passed, it was such a, it was such an emptiness. I don't even know how to describe it. It was terrifying because our son was 20. Um, suddenly I was the sole person responsible for him and decisions made on his behalf. And I just, I didn't feel up to it. I didn't, um, I, I literally, I was sent to my knees on more than one occasion, just in tears because I, I just didn't know how I could do it. And quite frankly, I hate to say this, but the truth of the matter is I didn't really in that moment care if I lived or died. It was like, obviously for my son, I wanted to be here, but, but without Bob, I just didn't think I could survive and surprise. I did. Were you a Christian, a believer at that time? You know, it, yes. I mean, I grew up in the church, uh, part of everything in the church, youth fellowship and, you know, kindergarten and day camp and all those things. So I grew up in the church and I knew sort of as you're growing up in church, what we learn, you know, Jonah and the whale and, and David and Goliath and, you know, the, just the normal sure. stories. I didn't, um, I didn't dig into scripture. Um, when you're young, I don't know that you, that you have that passion to do that. I don't know. Uh, but I certainly didn't. And then of course, I think like a lot of people, uh, though I believed in God when I got into my twenties and got into acting and was traveling the country doing theater and then in Hollywood, you know, doing some TV, I didn't do as much television as I did theater, but I did some. And you just sort of, at least I got away from it. Now that's not to say I was doing anything horrible or anything terrible and bad, but I didn't talk to God. I didn't consult with him. I didn't ask for guidance and direction. I just lived my life and did the things I wanted to do. What my life up until that point, And then after Colin was born, the 20 years that Bob and I did the caregiving, uh, the fact that my husband at the end of that, we finally decided to give in and have someone help us, um, you know, bring in a caregiver so that we didn't have to do it all the time. And immediately upon that happening, my husband was diagnosed and got sick and passed away. So um, I think, I hope this is understandable. I think after our son was diagnosed, I was a little bit mad at God because I didn't understand why this innocent child who had never done anything to anybody, the only child, uh, biological child that I would ever have, why he had to have these huge issues and um, mad might not be the right word, but do you know what I'm saying? I was frustrated with God, didn't understand. Well, did it, did it turn you away from God? Did you go the other way or just ignore it? I you know. I don't know that I went the other way. I'm sure. Believe me. I'm sure I cried out to God when things got tough and the, the way I think we, a lot of us do, sure. you know, Lord, please help me through this, you know. I just, when things were good and things were going well, I didn't always think, and probably in all serious, I don't want to say never thought, but I doubt that I thought very often of thanking God for how things were going 
when they were going well, but I'm sure I cried out when they weren't. That sounds pretty familiar <laughs> to most I think, people, I, I think. I'm sure it's true of so many people listening. You know it is. Yeah. Well, you know, we were talking on the phone the other day, and you mentioned something, Jimmy. You said something remarkable happened to you that completely changed your life and your walk with God when you were out taking a walk one day. I guess this was several years after Bob passed away. It was um, about seven or eight years ago, and I, on my radio station, I had a morning show called Sunny Side Up, where we try, my co-host and I tried to start people's days on a positive note and give them positive things to uh, do, affirmations, all that kind of thing. And um, I had been practicing at this point gratitude, which I think is always a good thing, um, for about a year. And what that meant is in the morning when the show was over, I would take my dog and we, we would go out for walks and I would thank the quote unquote universe for all the good things in my life, for the mountain breeze and the summer sun and the fact, you know, you know, there's nothing wrong with gratitude, um, certainly. But um, anyway, that's what I was doing for about a year. Every day I would take the walk. I would thank the universe for all the good things in my life and all the positive aspects and all of that. One day, now this was without any forethought, without any foreshadowing that this was coming. I was out walking with my dog and I was going down the road. It's kind of a private, thank goodness, kind of a private area on top of a mountain here. And I was walking down my road and out of nowhere, I fell to my knees. I started crying like a baby. I found myself thanking God, not the universe, for every hard part of my life. Because in that moment, for some reason, I understood that my son's diagnosis had put me on a path that I had been on at that point for about 25, 26 years not knowing that I was on that path. It had put me on a path to become the woman that I was becoming, to um, do the things here in my home state that that I was doing, things like the state song that you talked about. I started uh, the first honor flight program in West Virginia to honor our veterans uh, with trips to Washington, D.C. I had done, I had found that I, I gained comfort. Life was better when I was getting outside myself and doing something for the greater good. Sure. I just didn't tie that to God at the time. And so suddenly I was on my knees thanking him for Colin's diagnosis because truly my son is the purest soul I have ever known. Um, I know we're all born into sin, but he is... He's just so pure. What you see is what you get. He's not manipulative. He doesn't lie. He doesn't cheat. He doesn't steal. Um, he's just such a pure soul. He's been such a gift to me. Even when it's been hard, I can still see the gift in having him. And then I found myself thanking God for Bob's death. Now, that's not to say that I wouldn't have given anything and still wouldn't give anything to have my, my darling back. but. I understood that I had been given such a gift 
to have had this great love in my life and that that love had sort of armed me to be able, even when I thought I couldn't, to be able to survive losing him because that love sustained me through through the loss and through the trying to get my bearings and find my way. And, and I was giving all of that credit to Bob and then, and and I, I still give him some credit, but in that moment on my knees on the side of the road, crying my eyes out, talking to God, I understood that, ah, this makes me very emotional that um, God had been with me every step of the way, even when I didn't understand that, even when I didn't give him credit and thank him for it. He was there. And that moment on my knees when I, I cried for about 45 minutes and just when I stood up, I honestly didn't quite understand what had happened. I knew something had happened and, mm-hmm. and that I felt I had something was changing from the inside out. Now I know that I was being filled with the Holy Spirit. Then I didn't really quite understand that. I just knew something was different. Now the thing that, that also blew me away that I didn't quite understand in the moment was that once that happened and I came inside, I became so hungry to know scripture in a way that I had never been in my whole life. I was overcome with wanting to understand. Now, you have to understand, I had never thought about prophecy, didn't know what the last line in the Bible was, had never read Revelation had no interest, never thought about those things until after that, that moment on my knees. And I came back in and in the following weeks and months, I don't know, God put it on my heart to read Revelation, to um, find books to help me understand prophecy. And in light of the world today, I feel like, I mean, obviously God knew what was coming. Sure. He he wanted me to be prepared. And I tell you, I was ravenous. I couldn't read enough. I couldn't get enough books. And believe me, it took a few books to help me understand Revelation because (laughs) I came when, when that first hit me, I came in and I sat down and I read it and I cried all the way through it. I didn't have a clue what I was reading. I didn't understand anything I was reading, but I knew it was serious stuff. Cried all the way through it. And went, okay, Lord, I am so not understanding this, this book. And I need to, to get books to help me understand so what is, this book means. In that 45 minute or one hour period of time, God literally changed the inside of you, filled you with the Holy Spirit and gave you a hunger for the things of God, the word of God, like never before. Yes. I went to my first Bible study. Um, they were studying Romans, which is a wonderful, wonderful, I mean, Romans. Paul pretty much lays it out for you in Romans, right? I went to that Bible study. On the way there, I prayed that I would understand what was going on. I got there. I listened. I'm going to tell something on myself that, that I probably shouldn't tell, but I'm going to tell it anyway. Well, I told everybody this was going to be a very open interview, so go ahead. <laughs> Anybody out there who's struggling? I went to my first Bible study. They were about three chapters into Romans when I got there. And so I sat down and I explained to them. I said, I am new. Um, I have never studied Romans. I don't, you know, I'm, this is all brand new to me. I'm newly saved. 
Um, and I'm going to ask questions. And even if they're stupid questions, because I could tell they had all been together, you know, hey, studying me- about I want to interrupt you one second because you just said something that was really important. You said in that meeting, I'm newly saved. So what you're telling me is in those years before that you considered yourself a Christian, you don't think you were saved? You know, I I don't know. If you had asked me 10 years ago, do you believe in God? I would have said, absolutely. And if you had said to me, well, do you think you're going to go to heaven? I would have said, well, I'm a good person. So, yeah. I'm sure I will. I think there's so many people just like that who think they are and think they're going to go to heaven. It took studying scripture for me to understand that just being a good person, that's not going to get you to heaven. You have to, the ABCs of salvation, you have to admit that you're a sinner. You have to believe that Christ died and was crucified and was raised from the dead. And then you have to confess with your mouth that I call those the ABCs, and you have to be able to to believe in your heart with all your heart. That so I don't know how deep I believed, but I think it was kind of surface. Um, I don't think I well I know that I didn't delve into it. I wasn't. I don't know that there, that there was a depth to my. I just thought I was a good person. I believed in God. Hey, I was good to go. Yeah, I've talked to many, many people who would say the same thing you just said, that, well, I am a good person. I do believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But, you know, even Satan believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That does not bring salvation into your life. But you really do have to accept him as your Lord and Savior. And that's exactly what you're talking about. You do, And you, you have to walk with him. And, you know, I don't expect everybody's experience, people who are saved, to be like mine. Mine was kind of dramatic. I mean, it really, when it was happening, it was, it was a nice dramatic, you understand, but when it was happening and I didn't quite understand what was happening, um, you know, I think some people are quietly saved. And I had so many people say to me once I was saved, because I was so passionate and so hungry for information and to, to learn and to find out, you know, what God was all about and what, what Jesus Christ was all about. I was so passionate about all of that, that, that people would look at me and say, you know, I was saved when I was 12 years old, but you are stoking that fire for me again, because watching my enthusiasm and my excitement for the newness of everything got them wound up and excited again, which, which I think was a lovely thing to um, have happen. It's, you know, I just think there are a lot of people who are like I was, who believe they're saved. Doesn't mean they don't believe in God. I believed in God, but I had just fallen away. I was living in the world. And now I know that we are in this world, but those of us who are saved are not of this world. Isn't it amazing how that changes when you really begin to understand that, that we are just visitors on this planet? We really are. And we not we aren't of this world. We're just passing through. I mean, our existence in this human existence is like, you know, in, in cold weather when you breathe and the vapor comes out. That's in the scheme of things. That's about how how big our life is. That's in exactly this right. That's exactly earthly right. existence. Well, you know. Well, tell me this. Now that you've come this far, and uh, obviously you're living your life completely for Jesus. What's life like for you now? What do you, what do you do? What's, what's your life about now? 
Wow. You know, I get up every morning and this is kind of recent. This is only in the last few months. And I ask God to show me what he wants me to do, how I can be a blessing to someone for him, um, how I can glorify him. I was doing good things in my life before. Um, and I'm, I'm very happy with, with those achievements, but I, in my, in my head and heart, I wasn't doing them to glorify God. And I understand now it really isn't about me. It's not about me getting accolades or me being thanked for whatever it is I'm doing. It really is to glorify him. And to, I want to do something every day for the kingdom. You, you know, that again, you just touch on a really big issue. It's not about us. I mean, it's taken me, I feel like you, it's taken me years to come to the realization it isn't about me and how I feel. It has nothing to do with that. It's about what Jesus wants to do. And it and it isn't about feelings. See, I think that's another thing. In this world, society sort of dictates that we go with how we feel. And it's not, I mean, the Bible even says, and I can't quote the scripture, but the Bible talks about and it says it much better than I'm going to say it, but not to rely on your feelings. It really is about God's word and what God wants. I don't know how you can, we're all sinners. We're not ever at any point in our human lives going to live up to what God wants us to be every minute of every day. I mean, I think we all know that, but um I, I just, in my life, I want to try as hard as I can. And one thing that, that I've done, I had a, I self-published a book called Gilligan's Dreams about 10 years ago. It was, um, uh, about my 30 year marriage to Bob, our journey through autism, um, how I survived losing him. And I really wanted it when I wrote it initially to be, um, inspirational and possibly even helpful to people who were going through something like the diagnosis of a a child or like me having a heart attack or losing your spouse, whatever it might be. And I wrote it to be an inspiration to people. But at that point, I had not surrendered on my knees outside beside the road. I uh, had a publisher. I did a children's book last year that's been an award winner. And I'm very, very pleased. It's been such a blessing, that book, I can't even tell you. But the same publisher who published my children's book was interested in republishing Gilligan's Dreams. And I said, I would love that, but I would love to be able to revise it because so many things have happened in my life since I first published the book. So they agreed it would be wonderful. And so in the epilogue of the book, and this made me so happy, um, I was able to write about my experience on the side of the road on my knees and how everything that they had read in the book, every challenge, really, the Lord has <clears throat> allowed me to be in a lot of valleys. But what I have found, I think of it like, you know, the pressure of coal being made into a diamond. Yes. Uh-huh. I think of it that way. It's like when God allows us, I mean, we have free will. We make our choices. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they're bad. When, But I think he allows that. Because he refines us when we're in the valleys, when we're, when we've made a choice that wasn't such a good one. Um, or even when it's not our choice, just when we go through challenges that, that this earthly life presents, I really believe, see, I didn't think of it that way before. I didn't think about 
I'm being refined. I think I thought about why me? Why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to my baby? Why is it? You know, that's how I thought of it. Now, in real time, I try to pay close attention to what is going on and who is in my life and why God might have put this particular person in my life or taken that particular person out of my life. And in this challenge I'm going through, what does God want me to learn about myself, about other people by allowing me to go through this challenge? It just changes the way you look at things. I'm not perfect. I can get frustrated and upset. And yes, I can get overwhelmed and still cry, feeling overwhelmed about something. I don't mean to say that I'm just going through life, you know, hop, skip, hopping and skipping through life. But I try to recognize in real time because when I hit my knees on the side of the road and I look back over those 10 years since Bob had passed away, I could see God's hand. The people who came into my life when I needed something, when something was over my head or more than I could take, I promise you, I was giving Bob the credit, but I promise you, suddenly there would be some somebody in my life who knew about that thing or how to help me. It, it was just amazing. And when I started looking back and realizing that this was God's hand, he had always been there. Well, I tell you what, I, I understand exactly what you're talking about. You know, I, I had a decent father, <clears throat> imperfect, but he didn't know anything about God whatsoever. But along life's path, God has brought me special friends who have filled that gap over about 50 years. Just different men have come along, and God has used them to bring certain understanding and knowledge into my life. And that's what you're talking about. God brings people into your life that can change how you think and help you understand who he is. I think that's part of what he does. Exactly. That's so true. And what I found, maybe not immediately, but as the years went by, study scripture more and more. And um, I do online Bible studies now with friends and and all of that. I just, um, oh gosh, I just lost my train of thought is what I just did. What were we saying? Um, uh, don't feel about it. That happens to me about three times an hour. I swear to you, walking into a room going, why am I here? Why did I come in here for? Then he started bringing believers into my life and people who love the Lord like I do. And, and you know, when you become a believer, I mean, a true believer, for me, it's the main thing I want to talk about. And people who are not in that same place, um, no offense, but they really don't want to hear about it. That's exactly right. I was about to ask you, I said, have you had opportunities to go into that Hollywood world and, and really be a witness or a blessing to anybody in that world? Does that ever come up or, or not? Uh, yeah, actually, I have. There's this wonderful um, event that I do in Roanoke, Virginia. It's called um, Happy Trails, Virginia Style. And it's a convention where celebrities come in. Let me tell you, that was another God thing right there. Um, I was very, very good friends with Dawn Wells and who played Marianne on Gilligan's Island. Uh-huh. And she had been asked to do this convention. She thought it would be really fun for us to do it together. So she asked if I could be part of it. And they said, yes, that they would love to have me. So I went to Roanoke, walked in thinking that it was going to be like every other autograph show that Dawn and I had ever done together. You know, you, 
people come and they buy your book or they buy a photo and you autograph sure, it yeah. and you chat with them and they, and they go on. So this one, I walked in and the first day I was walking around the venue where all the celebrities were and we're talking people like Kathy Garver from Family Affair and uh, Spice Crosby who's married to Bing Crosby's grandson. She is a uh, stunt woman in Hollywood and and an actress and just so many amazing people. And I'm walking around and I'm hearing people, you know, a couple of people here and there and they're talking about God or they're talking about faith. And I'm thinking, where am I? What? What, what is this exactly? <laughs> so I started, I thought, ends up that these were industry people who are, you know, part of Hollywood, which is highly unusual, who are people of faith. And they make faith-based films. And they make uh, one young couple there. I mean, they have movies all over Netflix and Amazon Prime. Movies that are, you know, spiritual and and I, it, it was just amazing to me. So I'm walking around. I'm trying to get to know people because I knew you know, to everybody. And all people wanted to talk about was God and their faith and how, you know, God was showing them the way and, and how it was just the most amazing thing that I went back to my hotel room the first night and I cried. I was like, Lord, I can't believe you plopped me down right here. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because this entails not only what I love, which is the business and, and, you know, something that was part of my life when I was younger, but it's people of faith in the business. And that was just, um, last year I met, uh, John Wayne's son, Patrick Wayne there, Christopher Mitchum's son, um, Robert Mitchum's son. I'm sorry, Christopher Mitchum. I mean, it's just an amazing thing to see these, these really faith-based people who do what they do for the glory of God. There are Hollywood people who do love Jesus, aren't there? <laughs> there are. There are. And you, you know, you can forget that sometimes. My impression, I'm not out in Hollywood all the time anymore, so maybe I shouldn't, you know, say because I'm not there. But but my impression is always that I know it wasn't talked about in the years that, that we were out there. People didn't talk about faith or anything else. But that was a very different time. You know, we're going through such a strange time now that I just feel like God fortified me when he when he put on my heart to study prophecy, because now, you know, I started studying and I've been studying prophecy for about seven years and have read so many books to help me understand. Had I not done that, I don't know that I would see what's going on around us and understand that that has anything to do with the Bible and end times and what God says is going to happen in the end days. But there's this part of me that actually gets kind of excited because I go, oh, prophecy talks about that. We're getting closer. People probably think we're crazy, but we're almost excited about what's happening because we're seeing the end times being fulfilled. And And I'm not a doomsayer any more than you are. I mean, I'm, I no. am for everybody being blessed and happy and fulfilled. But yet, in the midst of all of that, there is still a direction that God is taking the world, and it is going to come to an end, and probably not in the too distant future. Uh, yeah. So it, it's going to happen. But I'll tell you what, what you're sharing are, is something that people need to hear and need to focus on what Jesus is doing now and recognize this world is going to pass away sooner or later. 
Now, I really hope that people will, there have to be people, I would assume, listening to this podcast who are like I was, maybe on the fence, but not even aware that they're on the fence. They can, you know, go one way or the other. And and I don't know, it's, you know, life is not perfect just because you're a Christian. Uh, sometimes I wonder if you don't face more challenges, but the world that we're in right now, and it's going to become, it's going to become more difficult um, as we get closer to the end days and Christians are going to be persecuted. You know, in this country, we've been very blessed. We have not been persecuted the way people, Christians are in other countries, but um, you know, all of that is coming if you believe the Bible. So, and I do. And so, you know, I would rather know God and walk with God. And even if your experience isn't dramatic like mine was, doesn't mean you have to fall to your knees crying. It just means you have to to walk with him and consult with him. I talk to him all day long. Honestly, he has got to be going, Dreama, go to bed, go to sleep, <laughs> give me a break. Probably not. He probably he loves it as much as you do. I am quite sure. If somebody wants to get a hold of Gilligan's Dreams, really your memoir with with the new section that, that is an epilogue and it's about what's happened to you, how do they get a hold of that? Where should they go? If they want um, an autograph copy, you go to bobdenver.com. That's pretty easy to remember. Yes. Uh, Gilligan, Gilligan's Gift Gallery. Those orders come directly to me and I can um, autograph the book if somebody wants it autographed. If they don't care about the autograph and if they love Amazon Prime and they want two-day delivery and all that kind of thing, then um, they can certainly get it on Amazon. I want both of your books and I want them both autographed. <laughs> okay, you got it. You got it. And Four Bears in a Box, my other book. You know, can I say something about yeah, that absolutely. really quickly? Go, go. Yes, ma'am. 20 years ago, well, now I guess 21 years ago, uh, Bob said to me, you know, our son, our autistic son, loved Dr. Seuss. So when I tell you that I have read every Dr. Seuss, I mean, he's 37 years old and he still loves Dr. Seuss. So when I say that I've read every Dr. Seuss book in existence at least 10,000 times, I am not kidding. And Horton hatches the egg and green eggs and ham probably 50,000 times. Anyway, um, when our son was about 15, Bob came to me and he said, honey, I think you should write a children's book. And I said, oh, you do, do you? And he was like, yep, I do. And I said, well, I could try, but I would have to have a premise that little kids would like because I wanted to write it in rhyme like Dr. Seuss, like our son loved and everything. And Bob goes, eh, don't worry about it. I've already got the title. And I went, okay, what's the title? And he goes, four bears and a bag. And I looked at him and I went, what in the world would four bears be doing in a bag? And he goes, that's what you got to figure out. <laughs> so I went, Okay. So I did. It took me about six months, but I figured out why the bears would be in a bag and wrote the story and Bob loved it. He got to hear it. I read just the pages to my son. He got to hear it. He seemed to like it. And then, you know, Colin got older and, and more challenging and more difficult. And Bob, of course, was diagnosed and, and passed away and the bears got put away. It was uh, two years ago in the spring, 28. No, 2019, I guess. Uh, 2018 or 2019. I was spring cleaning and I ran across the pages and I was like, oh my gosh, this story is so really cute. Anyway, 
My manager found a publisher, the one I'm still with now, Headline Books, uh, an independent publisher that I just love. Um, they wanted to publish it. I found Bob's original pencil sketches of what he wanted the bears to look like. So though he didn't illustrate the book, obviously, but those are in the book. So that's part of what you get. And um, the only thing we had to do 20 years later, uh, the publisher talked to me and said, you know, children these days are not going to know what a brown paper bag is. And I went, mm, that's kind of true. And they said, so we would like to suggest that you change it to four bears in a box. And of course, emotionally, I was tied to the title that Bob had given me. But honestly, I said, let me think about it overnight. I could literally hear Bob's voice in my ear going, honey, if they think the bears are going to do better in a box, put them in a box. Doesn't matter. (laughs) So I said, okay. And that required some rewrites to the middle of the book, but it made the book so much better because anybody out there who has a little child in their lives or has had, they know that children love the box almost always more than whatever came out of the box. Exactly right. <laughs> they want to. So in this book, the bears do their chores. They mind mom. They're good bears. So the reward is a great big cardboard box out in the garage. And in their imagination, it becomes all kinds of things. It becomes a rocket ship. It becomes a hot air balloon. It becomes a really fast train, a throne, everything that you can imagine. Kids would imagine a box to be. That's what it becomes. So creative people are going to, kids are going to love that. I'm telling you guys to those listening. If you have little ones in your life, it is the most wonderful read, not just because it's mine, but it really is a wonderful read aloud bedtime book. And it really is about being a good kid and and having boundaries and respecting those boundaries and loving mom and and then, you know, rewards at the end of all that. Character and values. That's what it's all about. Character and values, I'm sure. Let me ask you one last question here before we go. Okay. I don't, I, you know, I don't. I don't know the answer to this. I'm just asking you, Do can people contact you in some way? Can they get a hold of you? Maybe not on the phone or something like that, but can they get a hold of you? You know, no, obviously I don't give out my phone number. Of course, but, of course, I wouldn't either. Uh, <laughs> I'm on Facebook. That's really, you know, Facebook Messenger. If somebody wants to write me um, something or ask me a question, they could do it there. Well, that's the best idea right there. I know if, if you... If you gave out a phone number and email, you would not be able to stop all the phone calls. <laughs> it would be terrible. It's really funny on Facebook Messenger, I have to tell you. This is so, uh, this was, this happened a few years back, but it was so funny to me. People write me because of Bob and the connection. Uh, a lot of people write me on Messenger and I never know unless I recognize the name. I never know exactly what I'm going to get. And so one day I, this is again, like five years ago, I opened up. I opened up a message and the lady was basically fussing at me, telling me, uh, and this could not be less true, that I'm really rich and because they think there's residuals for Gilligan's Island. There's no, there have never been residuals for Gilligan's Island. So no, there are none of those. But anyway, because I'm really rich, she thought that I should take it upon myself to pay for her granddaughter's college education. 
<laughs> and that was it. So that made me for a while. I was like, oh my gosh, I don't even want to go on messenger because I'm a nice person. I don't want to say, lady, I can't pay for your daughter's or your granddaughter's <laughs> college education. I have a handicapped son I'm trying to take care of. I can't do both. So I backed off of messenger for a while. You don't know what you're going to get. You really don't. Well, uh, I understand. So thank you anyway, Dreama, so much for being on this program today. I think people are really going to be blessed by what you've shared and what's happened in your life. I so hope so. This is, I love giving my testimony. This has been a real opportunity to give it in depth. Um, I think more than some shows where you get to talk for 10 minutes and that's it. Quick, I just want people to know that if you are on the fence, pray about it. And ask God to allow the Holy Spirit to change your life. It's not going to make everything perfect. One more thing I just want to say. When I found out that there is going to be a new earth, he's going to resurrect this earth. And we will be living like during the millennium, which is uh on this earth. But it will be the Garden of Eden that God created to begin with. It will be perfect. It's going to be kind of cool. It's going to be kind of cool and kind of fun, isn't it? Oh, it's going to be amazing. (laughs) That just sort of, I mean, I was saved anyway, but when I started studying and realized that, that all the places I'm not getting to see this lifetime, I didn't get to go to Italy and I've never been to England and I never got to go to the Holy Land, all these things I would love to do. Wait till the new earth. (laughs) That's exactly right. I'm going to see all these places. My son is going to be able to talk to me and he's going to be able to have adventures with me. And this will make me cry. We will have conversations that we've never been able to have this lifetime. You know, none of us get out of this life alive and I don't mean to be tacky, but we don't. doesn't matter how rich or powerful you are. We're all going to someday leave this earth. And to know that there's something so glorious that we can't even imagine. You and I are about the same age. And uh, one thing I've begun to realize more and more in the last few years, and not in a morbid way, but in a in a real way, is our own mortality. You know, oh, yeah. it is going to come to an end, and I'm not morbid in any way. I just know no. it's going to come to an end sooner or later. No, so that's, just a, that's a fact of life. And I tell you, when I had a heart attack in, in 2005, And then, um, and I talk about this in my book, I've never really talked about it publicly too much yet, but in 2015, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so I went through, I'm fine. Everything's good, but I went through that and I went through that valley without Bob. You know, I was, I was, I did not have my darling to go through that with me. God went through that with me and I was very blessed in that circumstance. But that's when I really understood that we all know that you know, we're going to die someday, but it's very abstract, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's kind of like, it's way far in the future. It's always going to happen to somebody else. But I understood, maybe God gave me the clarity and the discernment to understand that this is a fact of life. We will not be here forever. And I don't care if you live to be a hundred in the span of things, that's not a very long time. And so I started understanding I needed to get my ducks in a row. And under, and start deciding what I believed and what mattered to me and what matters in this life that's going to carry me forward into the next one. And there you but go. Yeah, folks, we just, <laughs> we just have to know that, that we are temporary. This is temporal. 
Thank you, Dreamer, and thank all of you who have listened to this program today. I know it's been a blessing to you, and I will remind you, you too have a story, and it's probably better than you think. So if you'd like to tell it, please get a hold of me. You can reach me at uh, mygrandpajimmy.com or email me at mygrandpajimmy at gmail.com. Uh, so thank you, and if you get a chance, subscribe to our project. Thank you very much. God bless you.